0: CHAPTERS SEVEN AND EIGHT OF ESSAYS ON WORK AND CULTURE This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano ESSAYS ON WORK AND CULTURE By Hamilton Wright Maybe Chapter Seven Liberation Work is the most continuous and comprehensive form of action, that form which calls into play and presses into steady service the greatest number of gifts, skills, and powers. Into true work, therefore, a man pours his nature without measure or stint, and in that process comes swiftly or slowly to a clear realization of himself work sets him face to face with himself so long as he is getting ready to work he cannot measure his power nor take full account of his resources of skill intelligence and moral endurance but when he has closed with his task and put his entire force into the doing of it he comes to an understanding not only of but with himself Under the testing process of actual contact with materials and obstacles, his strength and his weakness are revealed to him. He learns what lies within his power and what lies beyond it. He takes accurate account of his moral force and measures himself with some degree of accuracy against a given task or undertaking. He discovers his capacity for growth and begins to see, through the mist of the future, how far he is likely to go along the road he has chosen he discerns his lack of skill in various directions and knows how to secure what he needs in countless ways he measures himself and comes to know himself for work speedily turns inward power into outward achievement and so makes it possible to take accurate account of what has hitherto lain wholly within the realm of the potential in a very deep and true sense an artist faces his own soul when he looks at his finished work he sees a bit of himself in every book painting statue or other product of his energy and skill what was once concealed in the mystery of his own nature is set in clear light in the work of his hands the reality or unreality of his aspirations is finally settled the question of the possession of original power or of mere facility is answered the worker is no longer an unknown force he has been developed revealed measured and tested in this process one of his highest gains is the liberation of his inward power in the attainment of self-knowledge and self-mastery no man is free until he knows himself and whatever helps a man to come to clear understanding of himself helps him to attain freedom a man does not command his resources of physical strength until he has so trained and developed his body that each part supplements every other part and bears the strain with equal power of resistance when every part has been developed to its highest point of efficiency and the whole body answers the command of the will with that completeness of strength which has its source in harmony of parts through unity of development the man has come into full possession of his physical resources. In like manner, a man comes into complete mastery of himself, when through self-knowledge he presses every force and faculty into activity, and through activity secures for each its ultimate perfection of power and action. When every force within has been developed to its highest efficiency, complete liberation has been effected. The perfectly developed and trained man would have the poise and peace which come from the harmonious expression of the soul through every form of activity and the freedom which is the result of complete command of all one's resources and the power to use them at will this ultimate stage of power and freedom has perhaps never been attained by any worker under the conditions of this present life but in the exact degree in which the worker approaches this ideal does he secure his own freedom the untrained man whose sole resource is some kind of unskilled labor is in bondage to the time and place in which and in which he finds himself and to the opportunities and rewards close at hand the trained man has the freedom of the whole world of work michael angelo receives commissions from princes and popes Velasquez paints with kings looking over his shoulder. Tesla can choose the place where he will work. Mr. Gladstone would have found fame and fortune at the end of almost any road he chose to take. In the case of each of these great workers, inward power was matured and harmonized by outward work, and through work each achieved freedom. No man is free until he can dispose of himself, until he is sought after instead of seeking until in the noblest sense of the words he commands his own price in the world there are men in every generation who push this self-development and self-mastery so far and who obtain such a large degree of freedom and consequence that the keys of all doors are open to them we call such men masters not to suggest subjection to them but as an instinctive recognition of the fact that they have secured emancipation from the limitations from which most men never escape in a world given over to apprenticeship these heroic spirits have attained the degree of mastership they have not been carried to commanding positions by happy tides of favourable circumstance they have not stumbled into greatness they have attained what they have secured and they hold it by virtue of superior intelligence skill and power they possess more freedom than their fellows because they have worked with finer insight With steadier persistence and with more passionate enthusiasm they are masters because they are free but their freedom was bought with a great price chapter eight the larger education the old idea that the necessity of working was imposed upon men as a punishment is responsible in large measure for the radical misunderstanding of the function and uses of work which is so widely prevailed in the childhood of the world a garden for innocence to play in secured the consummation of all deep human longings for happiness but there is a higher state than innocence there is a state to which men attain through knowledge and trial knowledge involves great perils but it is better than innocuous ignorance virtue involves grave dangers but it is nobler than innocence. Character cannot be secured if choice between higher and lower aims is denied, and without character the world would be meaningless. There can be no unfolding of character without growth, and growth is inconceivable without the aid of work. The process of self-expression through action is wrought, therefore, into the very structure of man's life. It is not a penalty, but a spiritual opportunity of the highest order. It is the most comprehensive educational process to which men are subjected, and it has done more probably than all other processes to lift the moral and social level of the race. Instead of being a prison, the workshop has been a place of training, discipline, and education. The working races have been the victorious races, the non working races have been the subject races. WANDERING PEOPLES WHO TRUST TO WHAT MAY BE CALLED GEOGRAPHICAL LUCK FOR A LIVING OFTEN DEVELOP STRONG INDIVIDUAL QUALITIES AND TRAITS, BUT THEY NEVER DEVELOP A HIGH DEGREE OF SOCIAL OR POLITICAL ORGANIZATION, NOR DO THEY PRODUCE LITERATURE AND ART. THE NATIVE FORCE OF IMAGINATION, WITH SOME SEMI-CIVILIZED RACES, SEEM TO POSSESS NEVER BECOMES CREATIVE, UNTIL IT IS DEVELOPED AND DIRECTED BY TRAINING education is as essential to greatness of achievement in any field as the possession of gifts of genius an untrained race like an untrained man is always at an immense disadvantage not only in the competition of the world but in the working out of individual destiny the necessity for work is so far from being a penalty that it must be counted the highest moral opportunity open to men and therefore one of the divinest gifts offered to the race the apparent freedom of nomadic peoples is seen upon closer view to be a very hard and repulsive bondage the apparent servitude of working peoples is seen to be upon closer view an open road to freedom there is no real freedom save that which is based upon discipline the chance to do as one pleases is not liberty as so many people imagine liberty involves knowledge self-mastery capacity for exertion power of resistance emerson uncovered the fundamental conception when he declared that character is our only definition of freedom and power now character is always the product of an educational process of some kind its production involves tests trials temptations toils it does not represent innocence but that which is higher and more difficult of attainment, virtue. Innocence is the starting point in life, virtue is the goal. Between these two points lies that arduous education which is effected, for most men, chiefly by and through work. In comparison with the field, the shop, the factory, the mine, and the sea, the school has educated a very inconsiderable number. The vast majority of the race have been trained by toil on the farm in the innumerable factories in offices and stores on sea-going craft of all kinds and in the vast field of land transportation the race as a rule has had its education in those elemental qualities which make organized society possible when the race goes to its work in the morning it goes to its school and the chief result of its toil is not that which it makes with its hands, but that which it slowly and unconsciously creates within itself. It is concerned with the product of its toil, with soil, seed, or grain, with wood, paper, metal, or stone, with processes and forces, but in the depths of the worker's nature there is a moral deposit of habit, quality, temper, which is the invisible moral result of his toil. The real profit of a day's work in the world can never be estimated in terms of money can be estimated only in terms of character the regularity promptness obedience fidelity and skill demanded in every kind of work skilled or unskilled compels the formation of a certain degree of character no worker can keep his place who does not develop certain moral qualities in connection with his work honesty truthfulness, sobriety, and skill are essential to the most elementary success, the getting of the bare necessities of life, and these fundamental qualities, upon which organized society rests as on an immovable foundation, are the silent deposit of the work of the world. Through what seems to be the bondage of toil, the race is emancipated from the ignorance, the license, and the dull monotony of savagery through what seems to be a purely material dealing with insensate things men put themselves in the way of the most thorough moral training the necessity of working gives society steadiness and stability when large populations are freed from this necessity irresponsible mobs take the place of orderly citizens and the crowd of idlers must be fed and amused to be kept out of mischief a man can never be idle with safety an advantage until he has been so trained by work, that he makes his freedom from times and tasks more fruitful than his toil has been. When work is disciplined a man, he may safely be left to himself, for he will not only govern himself, but he will also employ himself. There are few worse elements in society than an idle leisure class, a body of men and women who make mere recreation the business of living. And so reverse or subvert the natural order of life on the other hand there is no more valuable element in society than a working leisure class a body of men and women who emancipated from the harder and more mechanical work of the world give themselves to the higher activities and enrich the common life by intelligence beauty charm of habit and manners dignity of carriage in distinction of character and taste, so long as men need other food than bread, and have higher necessities than those of the body, a leisure class will be essential to the richest and completest social development. What society does not need is an idle class. End of chapter seven and eight, recording, by Greg Giordano, Newport Richie, Florida.